All right, now, now the numbers are changing instead of being stuck at two. That's nice. Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 46. You guys have a good week? Yeah, yeah. Teed off on a project at work that's uh, new, kind of exciting. Can't really talk about it. Can't talk about it much, but it's fun. It's got a little altruism with it, so I kind of like that. Is this going to be a Swift project then? It will be. It will be in Swift and targeting, I guess, iOS 8. Though I don't know why I shouldn't just see if we can just target 9 and up. Yeah, I haven't looked at the stats lately, but I think it was already well above 60% last time I looked. Yeah, it's higher than that now. Yeah, I think other was down around 5% or lower, so that's, that's still pretty small group well it's probably millions of devices still but yeah i think it was over 76 percent at least that was ios 9 but likely not your target audience they're not the people who are <laughs> likely to download new apps uh yeah i'm not sure it'll it'll still target eight for now so what else happened this week it's been a mostly quiet week for me other than starting off on a new project. There was some interesting news that's happened in the last week or so. And one thing, one update to the Swift um, open source project was commitment to support testing with the Swift package manager. So what do you mean by testing? So it'll run unit tests? So, yeah. So basically uh, building in support for a test harness uh, with the package manager. You know, for now, it's going to be focused on XC test, but I think the intent is in the future to support different test runners. So part of your your structure is you'll, you'll have your sources directory, but you'll also have your test directory with your tests in it. I'm trying to see how this is going to be useful and not be like a kitchen sink problem. I think it. I, I think part of the goal here is to make it relatively independent of Xcode. So right now, if you want to run your XC test with Xcode, is you you or run your XC test, you use Xcode build or or some wrap around Xcode build to run your test. So this will let you run your test with the package manager and not have that dependency on Xcode. Which if you're on Linux, for example, you don't have Xcode. Okay, so maybe this is just a useful tool that really needed a nice home to go to that wasn't a, its own place because maybe that would just be too small. I'm not really sure. I'm just feeling like a package manager that's also a test runner. Right. It's it's a little bit of uh, over-inflating the package manager. I, I definitely see what you're saying. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, it kind of puts hooks in to make it easier to test. I mean, you could certainly have an independent test runner, and you can still have, have one. And I think that's the plan is that the test runner will be somewhat independent. There'll just be a place to specify where your tests are. I can live with that, I guess. Not that not that uh, Latner's going to call me up and say, what do you think about this? But yeah, it, definitely testing. It's a, it's a bonus. And maybe if I can even see what the test coverage of a package that I'm importing is when I pull it down, that might be an, a nice thing. Or 
to know that there's a braking test somewhere. I can see how that would be useful. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, anything that Apple does or the community around Swift does to make testing easier, I think is good. No, it was uh, an area that was definitely neglected for a long time with the tooling and often was broken from a continuous integration standpoint. So it keeps getting improved, and this is another step in that direction of making tests a little bit more independent of Xcode and kind of built into some of the other tools. I wonder how well that works with the simulator or if it's really designed to work outside of the simulator. And that's a good question. I, you know, as far as I can tell, it's probably somewhat independent of the simulator. You know, I really don't know if you're building a library what, um, what the expectations are going to be for having a simulator to run it on especially if they're trying to make this somewhat independent of which platform you're targeting, you know, iOS, OS 10, Linux, you know, is it, is it going to be a web framework in the future? So the simulator might really be applicable here. Right. Yeah. There's still some ocean open issues that I have uh, with uh, a separate test runner that works fine locally, but doesn't work on the CI server. I finally got to work around in place. So my tests are running again and actually reporting the output. You know, that's one area that, it, you know, I struggle with with CI more than anything else is, you know, I'll get a build script that runs and it might run the test locally, but on the server it fails to output or simulator fails to, to launch or times out. So yeah, I'm I'm excited to see improvements in that area and, and you know, at a minimum be able to run tests that are independent of the UI. So kind of continuing on with the testing topic, uh, there's a new open source project called Nuff App. K-N-U-F-F, and it's designed to uh, test push notifications. And I don't know if, how much you guys have done with push notifications and, and what you've done in the past to be able to test that they're working. Most of the apps that I've done that have used push notifications use Urban Airship or something similar. And usually they have a REST API for posting uh, push messages. This is a Mac client uh, that does something similar to push to the Apple network. And you can toggle between production and sandbox. Okay. So it's a nice little utility. Yeah, so you'd have to give it your certificates. and. Yeah, I think it will discover them for you uh, to some degree. So you put in your token. Hmm, that's interesting. It'll grab the certificate from your keychain, so it makes that part easy. Then you put in your token and pick your environment. Uh, you've got to create your JSON payload for the message. That's reasonably straightforward. Yeah, I think things like Urban Airship sometimes make it a little bit too easy to send out a push notification, at least it's a test notification. Because I've been in situations where, as a user, I've gotten test notifications <laughs> in production. And I'm pretty sure they were using something like Urban Airship. Yeah, it's not, not an easy thing to test, that's for sure. I mean, either, yeah, like a website where you go and you hit a test button and it goes to everyone, which is always fun. Or, <laughs> yeah. or you have your little script that'll run some tests or something like that outside of whatever your backend is it's really sending them it's all always a pain so this seems pretty cool seems like a nice convenient way to test stuff yep yeah yeah especially if you're working directly with apns now if you are using urban airship i don't think this is going to do you much good i think you want to use a uh, something else like a rest client to do your testing with urban airship and they urban airship does have a, a test environment as well so you don't have to push to production well you can always just test by pushing straight to your phone too and not yeah as a big broadcast to everybody 
Yeah, it's because they kind of have both set up. Have your sandbox and push to yourself rather than broadcast. Yeah, well, that's pretty cool, though. It looks like a nice little simple app. Let's see, uh, something else that came up recently. I don't think we talked about it on the previous episodes, but it looks like Cocoa Pods is getting close to a 1.0 release. I believe they're, they've got a beta 2 out now for 1.0. They haven't had any major announcements that I've seen. But, uh, well, they have this, this app thing, too, that seems like the way they want you to to do stuff it kind of gets around some of the issues that that we've been talking about in a recent episodes i think they have like a bundled ruby within the app and you're supposed to it seems like there's a command line within the app i'm not sure how it works yeah, there's, exactly yeah there's some sort of ruby environment i i've looked at the app a little bit i was kind of surprised that they spent the time building a native app uh, for for the mac for CocoaPods. but at the same time you know they probably didn't know that apple was going to come out with a package manager so, you know, it seems like the CocoaPod team often has lots of different things moving and i, I think it's part of having a, a large community around the open source project but you know i think they've made some updates to their website recently or within the last few months and now they've got a mac app and they're getting ready for a 1.0 release so a lot of things going on with coco pods and i think they've been working to integrate with the swift package manager as well so um, they can bridge that gap between coco pods and the future of the package manager it's interesting i thought maybe they would have written this in ruby mine or something like that but no it's it's a mostly swift and objective c app it's a nice looking app yeah i'm i'm not too worried about the command line i almost always have a terminal open anyway so i'm I wasn't really interested in looking at the app too much, but eh, if, as long as you could still use the a command line with it too, but yeah, that would be all right. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out what the purpose of the app is. It seems like it's supposed to make something easier, but I'm not sure what that thing is. I'm just kind of guessing right now. So maybe once it's 1.0, no betas, I'll have to check it out and, and see what's going on. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a fair amount of code to have written too. Yeah. Have you guys done anything with CloudKit? Watched some WWDC videos? Yeah, the biggest thing that was always holding me up on, like, going whole hog into CloudKit stuff is that you can only do it on iOS, or if you're on the Mac, you can only even do it on App Store iOS stuff. You couldn't do it separately from that. And so previously, they did support iCloud outside of the Mac App Store, I believe. And then with CloudKit and recent updates to iCloud, you have to be a Mac App Store app, uh, which, you know, I, I use 1Password quite a bit, and uh, I was using iCloud Sync with 1Password, and that was really convenient. Uh, but with re with the recent update of 1Password, they had to switch from using iCloud in, uh, in the non-Mac App Store version. Uh, so they just announced something new called Agile CloudKit that they built to use CloudKit outside of the Mac App Store inside their app. And they've made that open source so anybody can use it. Right. So you're basically using, what's it, what do they call it? The cloud code? Or is that? Yeah, that's, that's, parse. that's parse. Yeah. Okay. But it is yeah. a JavaScript library. Yeah. So yeah, you're, you're using the CloudKit web API or JavaScript API. Yeah. The intent seems to be the, for that API to be used by like websites that interact with your app. But I was, I was kind of surprised that they've done this and Apple hasn't shut them down yet. So it seems like if they're going to shut them down, they probably would have at this point. Yeah. Theoretically, you could do, I would think you could do the same thing with uh, CloudKit on Windows, for example. Or Android. Yeah. 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 So, I think the big one would be Android. Yeah, very true. So it'll be interesting to see if Apple reacts to this in a negative way. Um, I hope not. I hope, uh, you know, I like 1Password and the Wi-Fi syncing works pretty good, but the cloud syncing, I think, would be better. Yeah, I, I just use Dropbox because I use it on, on other platforms that aren't 
Apple, like I use it on Windows and Android as well. But they haven't announced that they're going to port Agile CloudKit to those platforms as well. I wonder if that's partly to kind of keep Apple happy. Maybe just yeah. the fact that they're using it within the Apple ecosystem is what's uh, kind of allowing them to 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 do what they're doing. Because I mean, they're essentially just rot- like wrapping a like a REST API, I think, and and Objective C. I think that's all that Agile CloudKit is. So you have to have an app that's already in iCloud via the the iOS app store, the Mac app store, and then you can use this. You can't just say, I'm going to make a CloudKit app and it's just going to be a website. <laughs> yeah. Well, and your uh, users have to have Apple IDs as well. Mm-hmm. So if they're yes. purely Android users, that's not going to work out for you. Right. Yeah. And with the Mac apps, um, it can't read your iCloud credentials uh, from the Mac. So you have to enter them in separately into, in yeah, this like case, one password. Mm. Well, I think they open a website, actually. Yeah. It's kind of a weird experience. Yeah, it's kind of an OAuth type of experience. Yeah. Mm. Like a Safari view controller? No, you actually but... go to your web browser. Oh. Hmm. Well. That's the best they could do. Yeah. But it gets you syncing, and that's what you need, so. Makes you wonder if Apple's not saying anything, because in June they're going to open this all up for everybody anyway. I can't see that ever happening. It'd <laughs> <laughs> be cool, but yeah, I don't I don't see that. Maybe. I would be curious how many of our listeners use CloudKit. I mean, it's a seemed to be a fairly well done solution, but you know, I don't know what kind of traction it had or has had. And you know, when when you're limited to just the Apple ecosystem, it's kind of limiting. And then It seems like seems like I've heard good things about people who use it because it seems like Apple dogfooded it with, I think, maybe their Photos app and maybe some of the other apps. So it seems I've heard it's like a really solid thing, especially compared to some of the other iCloud methods of syncing, like the iCloud core data sync oh, uh, catastrophe yeah. from a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, everything's been fairly positive in terms of working with it and stability from what I've heard, but I just don't know what the adoption's been. And, you know, one thing I, I kind of wonder with CloudKit, maybe you guys know the answer to this, but, you know, if you vote now dependent on CloudKit and a user doesn't have an iCloud account or doesn't enable iCloud, then you're kind of stuck having to duplicate your persistence locally. Is that is that true? Or you uh, just have a login wall. I mean... I know yeah. they do have like a public, they have public data. Um, and I suppose you could yeah. potentially post to the public portion of the data. Yeah, the, I think Without right. an Apple ID. But you wouldn't be able to store user data in their private. Yeah, no sensitive stuff. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's the thing that kind of bothers me about it is if you want to support a user that doesn't have, a, doesn't want to use iCloud, you have to basically have a backup plan. An alternative yeah. store. I know one other app that just maybe in the past month or two switched over to using CloudKit is a Tweetbot. They use it for their like the the syncing your red position. Hmm. Uh, and I think they actually deprecated Tweet Marker support because there's now that they can do it in CloudKit, they have plans to kind of enhance the things that you can sync between your different Tweetbot devices. So. That was an interesting move, but that, I mean, that's that exact problem you're talking about. It's only Tweetbot apps that that are going to be able to use this 
sync stuff. Maybe they release an SDK that uses Apple's infrastructure and other Twitter apps can use too. I don't know. <laughs> that would be interesting. Here's my, uh, I, they, uh, fork, uh, agile cloud kit and, and make it the, the tweet bot marker SDK. <laughs> be interesting. Yeah. I'm not so sure on that one. I won't hold my breath. Yeah. It could happen though. Cause I know one of the issues with tweet marker was that it cost money. Like it was someone, uh, it was one of the core intuition guys. Mantons. I think it's Manton. Yeah. And I mean, he had to pay for servers for all those people. So he tried to like implement a business model where he charges the, the Twitter client makers a couple of years ago. I never really heard what's happened with that. I don't know if that went away or if maybe that's why Tweetbot's switching away. I'm not sure. And I'm not so sure he's been big on advancing that thing either. Yeah. But he has gone indie, and he's got to got to make money and put food on the table. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's got some motivation. True. It's kind of unrelated to some of the stuff we've been talking about. But if you, Alex, didn't you say you've been looking into uh, Redux Kit and Swiftflow? Yeah, there was a great presentation um, hosted on Realm site. I think it was from the Swift Language User Group, uh, where the author of Swiftflow. Kind of walk through the motivation and, and examples of using SwiftFlow, and for those that aren't familiar with it, the the idea is that you kind of change the way you handle state within your application, so data flows only in one direction, and your state is immutable. And the rationale behind that is, you know, immutable state creates opportunities for bugs and creates more challenging. Mutable state does right. Yes, yeah, sorry. Mutable state, you know, leads to potentials for bugs as as state changes and UI and, and different parts of the application have to stay up to date. So your app starts getting really complicated as everything needs to know about all the changes that are happening. So with SwiftFlow or ReduxKit, you know, the, you've got your state is immutable. The view controllers don't change state directly. They so they're, So it's based on this concept coming from the React Facebook world called Flux. Yeah, and uh, I think there's a JavaScript framework called Redux as well. Right. But all kind of the same concept. Yeah, so these are kind of ports of that. Yeah. And you use functions to operate on your state. And then once you do that, you get a new, the function returns back a new state. So you have your... The one thing that's big on Flux is that they have these stores. And these uh, state stores, basically. And then, but Redux specifies that you should only have one store. And then everything gets uh, mutated whenever you use these functions. And a new state, the store gets updated with a new state. And then things can listen for updates to that store and then react to it. Yeah. So, and one of the benefits of this is you actually take that, those, that mutating logic out of your view controller where it often ends up and spread throughout the application. And and now it's all kind of consolidated into a set of these discrete actions. So you end up with a, a list of actions that are in your application. So all the mutating logic ends up kind of in one place. Yeah. So I, I hope we didn't butcher this too much. But uh, the, the cool part is that there were two libraries they were 
talked, they were basically built around the same time in isolation of each other, but they were both ports of the Redux uh, JavaScript framework. And they've decided to merge that all into one library and combine efforts, which is pretty cool. You don't really see that often in open source. It's it's good that these guys didn't have uh, too strong of egos or anything like that. It's normally forks upon forks upon forks <laughs> upon forks. Yeah. And I think they're now that they're merged, I think they're approaching a one oh release. And right. you know, it it's it's one of those architectural changes that can help simplify your application. And it's you know, if you go and watch Ben's presentation, it is reasonably easy to follow. I you know, there's probably a little bit more learning curve than doing kind of a traditional MVC where you put all your code into a view controller, but it's I don't think it's quite the steep learning curve of going with something like an RX Swift or Reactive Cocoa. So, Although you can pair that pair those with this architecture yeah. pretty nicely. Yeah, and some some degree they've got very similar goals and achieve them in similar ways, but they're not mutually exclusive. You can, you know, one of their sample apps actually uses Reactive Cocoa and uh, ReSwift, which is what the new framework is called. Yeah. So we do have one of the developers from Redux Kit, now, now ReSwift, in the chat room, in our Slack chat, and he's had some pretty good uh, insights on it. Some decent conversations going on in the chat room. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm actually uh, working on a project that is a pretty good fit for ReSwift. And so I'm slowly refactoring it to uh, be able to use it. And uh, it's kind of nice having having somebody, one of the committers on the Slack channel so I can ping questions <laughs> uh, to them. Not that, that not that there aren't other ways of, of reaching out, but... Uh, but yeah, it's you know it's I've been kind of slow to adopt RX Swift or Reactive Cocoa just because it's a fairly significant commitment and steep learning curve that um, I want to make sure that those frameworks are fairly mature and that everybody on my team and my clients can understand it well enough that I'm not introducing obstacles to being productive. Uh, but I think ReSwift is is not such a steep learning curve that I think adopting it on a project would not not be an obstacle. And it seems to make testing a lot easier because your reducers are basically just functions. And yeah. a function's easy to test what you put in and what comes out. And it's done. Yeah. You know, one of the big questions is the, you know, the single store for the state seems like that could be challenging and, and maybe for some applications that would be, yeah. would be a bit Although, of an obstacle, but, you know, for an application like what I'm building, which is mostly content oriented, it actually works really well. Yeah. These, these don't say that you have to have a single store. That's just the, the typical architecture. Yeah. You could actually create multiple stores, mm -hmm. which I can see in an app that's probably too large and should be broken up into separate apps anyway. You might want to have separate stores. 
And with it, you have a few, there's a few side projects. There's a router for handling navigation uh, in a very similar fashion. And then there's a um, recorder as well. So because you're tracking or, you know, all the state changes happen in the same way, you can record those state changes so you can actually replay them back later, kind of like time travel. And they've got a nice demo showing that happening live with a with a slider on the screen, so you can actually scrub through all the state changes. Yeah, it's kind of intriguing. Yeah, yeah, I have every intention of checking that out pretty soon, and uh, maybe putting it into one of the apps I'm working on. So there's been some other fun discussions in our. Uh... Slack chat too. You guys should definitely join in. Uh, one of the most important ones in my mind is uh, earlier this week I spilled some water on my keyboard. <laughs> the uh, arrow keys and the command key were not working very well, which makes it really hard to uh, use a text editor to do anything with code, as you can imagine. Uh, so I I roughed it out for a while, and then I finally had to get rid of my my uh, Apple. Uh, just the standard Apple uh, wired keyboard that had uh, served me well for a long time. Um, but I, I reached out to try and find some good, uh, good replacement options uh, from, from the Slack chat, just cause it seems like they haven't updated that keyboard in a long time. So there's gotta be something better out there. This was my thought. Yeah. The wired one hasn't seen really any changes lately. And it had a number pad, which is the the big thing that I I want, and none of the other Apple keyboards have, which is really annoying. I'm kind of curious why the number pad's important to you. Is it like for gaming, or or what's the motivation there? It does a lot of taxes. No, it's entering <laughs> numbers. I I I guess I do lots of. I mean, I do the the accounting piece of our of our indie business, and it seems like I'm just entering numbers a bunch, like in solver or somewhere to try to calculate something and i i just have this muscle memory for for using the numpad so hmm. i don't know I, and i have seen there are things where you can have like a number pad only bluetooth keyboard that they have that like matches up with the uh current wireless keyboards but yeah that would be nice because then you just put that on the other side of your trackpad because i yeah. like i like having the trackpad next to the small keyboard because if it, I feel like if I have it next to the the keyboard with a number pad on there that I'm reaching my arm out too far yeah yeah I think the current one out there is made by a third party like Belkin or Logitech I think it's Belkin is the one oh yeah I've there's seen. no Apple branded ones but right. they it, they look pretty close so yeah. and there's even one that's like just a thing that you put on your on your trackpad and there's some software where you can like turn on numpad mode, which seems kind of crappy to me, but yeah, I want one with a, with a number pad, I guess is, is the deal. So I've been trying to figure out what keyboard there is and I've gotten lots of good suggestions. The, uh, the one, the one I'm currently investigating is a WASD keyboard, I guess they're called, but you get to like customize your keyboard layout and all this stuff. And you get to choose from a bunch of different uh, switches, too. Because that's something that's important to people, I guess. 
It's mostly important to your coworkers. Yeah. Well, see, I I mostly work from home, so that wouldn't be a big deal. But I want something that's somewhat quiet so that you can't hear me typing away on a podcast. <laughs> uh, which I'm sure you guys heard that, that now on my current crappy keyboard. Well, we hear it normally anyway. Yeah, that's true. It always um, falls out on the editing floor. Yeah. <laughs> but so I wasn't sure which one to get because there's all different kinds of switches for like, oh, do you uh, do you want a super loud one that feels like the coolest keyboard ever? And there's like six different ones that this one company makes. So I paid like $15 to get a tester sent out to me that has the six different kind of switches. And then they have these little plastic O-rings that you can put on them to dampen some of the sound, too, that you can test out. So <laughs> I'm waiting for that to come to me so I can figure out what my ultimate keyboard is. Wow. So do you ship that little test thing back to them afterward? or I paid 15 bucks for it, so I'm assuming it's mine. I could have probably bought an Amazon Basics keyboard for less than that. But <laughs> <laughs> I figure a keyboard is something you use so much. It may be worth it to uh, put some some money into it. So. <laughs> People are passionate about their keyboards. Yeah. Hopefully I find a good one. And it's it actually I think it has like switches on the back so you can switch between different keyboard layouts like if you're a Dvorak keyboard layout guy you can switch to that. You can switch between like the Mac and Windows keyboard layout if the command key location is bugging you. Oh. Is that the company that was formed by was it Jeff Atwood? So that is the code Coding keyboard. Horn. Okay. Um, and it see I don't know if like if this is like the next uh version of that or or not. They they both use Cherry MX switches, um, which are the apparently the the really good ones that have the good like clickiness feedback when yeah the yeah. clickiness when you type on them like old old keyboards did. Yeah, I know there's a. A decent community out there that loves the mechanical keyboards. So yeah, this they, is up. They go looking for for that sound that and that <laughs> that's that sensitivity, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and I don't care about the sound as much. I I do like the the feedback because I'm normally a pretty hard typer on keyboards, so it's hard yeah. to find like a good keyboard that has a Mac keyboard layout and a number pad, obviously. That <laughs> <laughs> right, and that is. One that you don't have to pay through the roof for. Yeah, well, I might be, I might have to give up on that end. <laughs> yeah. Well, it seems like anytime it says Mac next to it, you, you have to pay another twenty bucks. Yeah, or double the price or something. Yeah, mm -hmm. that sounds about right. Like all those hard drives that are like, oh, they're brushed aluminum on the outside, and now you <laughs> you pay twice as much, and they're Thunderbolt, which makes it even more expensive. True. True. Well, you'll have to keep us informed and let us know what you end up with next if you week. Wanna, if you want to find out, you should head to our uh, our Slack chat at chat.sharedinstance.com. I'll get you the, uh, hooked up to the, the Slack. And tell yeah. me about any keyboards I may have missed or something. I don't know. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, and uh, we're, we haven't had an app of the week in a while, so I'd definitely be interested to have people... Join the Slack chat and uh, share some suggestions for App of the Week or uh, send us an email. Yeah, and 
we had a great time interviewing Josh last time. So we'd love to get some more interviews in future episodes. And uh, you can suggest those to us on the chat or even on Twitter. We'll pay attention to that still. It's not that old school yet. So you guys want to tell us where you can find us on uh, the not-so-old-school Twitters? And you can find me at AJ Robinson. I'm at Alex Argo on Twitter. And I'm Sam Corder on Twitter. And the podcast is Shared Inst. And uh, sign up for the chat. It's It's been good so far. I'll just put that in the at the little end part of the episode. The part where I was like, oh, my recording's not working. <laughs> <laughs>